if you, if you were to happen to get caught up in that swarm of movement when the children go downstairs, you kind of get a sense of what it was like when those locusts invaded Egypt, right? And you're, they're just everywhere, right? And you're just, it's like a vacuum. You just kind of get sucked into it. Listen, I'm going to shock you guys this morning. Uh, we're in Exodus, and uh, we're dealing with some plagues. <laughs> um, I, feel, I feel a great deal of sympathy for Reuben and his family, because they've been out the last couple of weeks. They've been battling some illnesses and whatnot, and, and he was probably hoping, well, by the time I get back to church, uh, surely we'll be on the other side of the Red Sea. <laughs> and you know what? We're still in Egypt, man. We're still in Egypt. Right, and so uh, uh, we, we are going to be looking at uh, Exodus chapter ten, verses twenty-one through twenty-nine, and the uh, eight verses that are found in chapter eleven. Um, we're going to look at those just briefly. We're actually going to close in reading those, and uh, it'll kind of give you a sense of of where this thing moves uh, next. Uh, I do want to kind of give us just a, a quick review for those of you who haven't been here. You have no idea where we're at. Uh, we're going through uh, the plagues of Egypt. And uh, we're doing a study in the book of Exodus. And uh, we're in uh, the portion of the, of the text where God is dealing with the nation of Egypt. Uh, Moses is his vessel. Aaron is his uh, companion uh, in, in service. And so uh, they have... Uh, up to last week had suffered seven plagues by the hand of God due to their resistance to God's purpose and uh, his desire to liberate his children and to use them as a, a means to uh, expand his kingdom. And so last week uh, we, we moved in into the eighth plague, which was the uh, plague of locusts. Remember we showed a few photos last week, and, and I can recall the grimacing, the ah, the ooh, you know, we showed this uh, coverage, this infestation of, of locusts and what it may have looked like. As a matter of fact, I went, I went so far as to say what we saw on the monitors held in comparison to what Egypt had experienced because the scripture said that there had never been a swarm of locusts like that, a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be a plague of locusts like that. So no matter what we see in our modern uh, uh, time, because we have access to so many images, no matter how bad you find a certain image to be, understand what they experienced was worse than that. So when we see that stuff, man, it makes our skin crawl. Understand what they were experiencing, that hells in comparison. What you saw hails in comparison to what they experienced. And uh, one of the things we had touched on last week, remember, was that when the plague of locusts came, it actually, and, and Moses uh, warned them and said, these locusts are going to consume what the previous plague of hail had left. And we had talked about the mercy of God. You know what I'm talking about? And sometimes when we spoil the mercy of God, when we, uh, when we cheapen the grace and the mercy of God, sometimes we don't understand uh, the significance of that until that is removed completely from the equation. And there have been times in my life where I have felt like God has uh, pulled himself back to allow me to experience 
to a great extent, the full uh, uh, force of some of my decisions, Reuben. And man, when I've, when I've experienced that, man, it's been eye-opening. And so it, it has set something deep in my heart and my spirit, Mildred, that I don't want to cheapen the grace of God. You know, and so uh, what was left after the hell was the grace of God, and they cheapened that, so when the locusts came, even that was removed. And so... Uh, another point, we'll, we'll move quickly. You, you recall Pharaoh's uh, officials last week had addressed the issue uh, to Pharaoh. Do you understand the decisions that you're making and to what degree it is leaving this nation in calamity? Remember that? And we briefly talked on the idea that the decisions that you and I make, have, have a, it, they have a fallout. You know, it's like a blast radius. You know what I'm talking about? Ground zero. And, and sometimes we don't understand the extent of the scorched earth we leave behind us from the decisions that we are making. And I address that because I've done that. Not understanding the extent of the damage, the collateral damage that has, been, that is, that has happened because of my decision making. And then he goes on, and, and ultimately, uh, uh, Pharaoh resists um, letting the women and children go. He wanted to use them as a, a, probably an odd form of collateral to ensure that the Hebrews came back after he said the men could go worship. But that wasn't what God had asked. It wasn't for the men. Pharaoh felt like this was the deal he was willing to make, but that wasn't the deal God was willing to make. Remember that? And so uh, God administered judgment on Egypt. But ultimately, ultimately at the close of it, Pharaoh's heart is still hard. You know, at some point you're like, come on, man, wake up, right? And so that's where we are at today. And we are going into the ninth plague, the ninth plague. And so let's read in Exodus chapter 10. And we're just going to read verse 21, and then we'll just kind of navigate our way through this, okay? Just open your minds and your hearts this morning. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky. In the Hebrew, it actually says to the heavens. Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. Father, in Jesus' name... I pray today that our hearts and our minds at this very moment would swing wide open and we would ask you to speak into our hearts and to our lives and may we leave here today challenged, strengthened, encouraged, and equipped to move forward in our relationship with you in the days that you have given us for the remainder of our lives, Lord. We bless you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now listen, I'm going to give you kind of a, a quick review because this is the ninth plague, right? Now you guys remember as we've been doing this study, every third plague came without warning, right? Remember that? Well, this is the, the third uh, uh, portion of the three, that being the ninth plague. So God didn't have him go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, if you don't do this, then this plague of darkness is coming. No, no, no. This plague is administered without warning. Okay? 
And this, is, and this is what he says to them. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Now, I don't know how many of you guys know what the term nicophobia is. Anybody here know what nicophobia is? Nobody? Okay, that's, you know, I wouldn't have known what the term nicophobia means <clears throat> had I not read it, all right? Uh, nicophobia literally means the fear of darkness. Now, how many of you at some juncture in your life, whether it be three years old, four years old, even maybe as an adult would say, I probably suffer to some degree with some nicophobia, right? Now, hey, I'm not, I'm not a darkness kind of guy. You know what I mean? That's, 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 not, a, uh, that, that's not who I am. I, I'm not down with that. But what they're about to experience is a level of nicophobia that few people have ever experienced. I remember as a kid, and, and, and Carrie jokes with me all the time, and if you've been in our house, you'll know this to be true, she can always tell when I'm at home. Because when I go through the house, Kevin, hey man, it's who I am. I, I got some nicophobia going on. Okay? So I'll go into the laundry room as soon as I walk into the house, well, and I'll hit that light. You know, I, I, you know, I'm a son of God. Let there be light. Boom, I turn it on. I go into, into the next room, boom, that light's on too. I reach into the kitchen, I'll hit the first light switch. I ain't going, I ain't crossing the dark kitchen to get to that light switch. I'm hitting the first light switch. Boom, light's on. Going through there. I go in the living room. We got two or three lamps in there. I turn all three of them on. I go back there to the bedroom. If I'm going to be back there for any significant amount of time, that light's coming on too. And by the time my wife gets home, I mean, it looks like a carnival, man. I mean, that house, we are, a, we are the light on the hill, literally, in every sense of the word. I mean, that's just who I am. Now, that's born out of some experiences I had as a kid that I'm sure set in me a level of fear of darkness. And I told you guys these stories about us living in an old warehouse building that I took you to, that they stored caskets in our basement, right? In the first story. We lived on the second story. The first story was basically a facility where they stored caskets. So as a little kid, every day while it was still uh, daylight, I would walk up those steps. But to get up to those steps, I had to pass this door that had a window. And you saw every casket that was in that room, Dwayne. And I'm telling you, during the daytime, it was creepy. But look, we so poor. I mean, we're poor. We were so poor, we went to KFC, we licked other people's fingers, right? That's how poor we Listen, we had to live in a building that stored caskets, all right? That's how poor we were, right? Are you with me? That's how poor I was, all right? So we just had to deal with it. We lived in the casket house. That's what it was. But I remember going, and I mean, it was terrifying. It was terrifying, right? I mean, you want to, and I'm telling you, that's daytime. The sun's still up. But when that sun began to set and that darkness began to fall in, and at this point in my life, being too young to have the master control of the light switches, and darkness would fall on that. Listen, the last place I was going was down them steps. I'm telling you, that apartment building would have to be on fire before I was going down them steps. And I'm telling you, you could hear things down there. You could hear caskets open. You could hear caskets close. You could hear it. You knew it. You knew Bella Lugosi was down there. You knew it. You know what I'm talking about? Lon Chaney. You know what I'm talking about? A man of a thousand. You knew they lived down there. 
And I'm telling you, so, uh, you know, uh, this nectophobia thing is set up deep in my spirit. So even now, man, you come to my house, say, it's lights on, lights on. Well, what's happening right here is God is about to hit the light switch. God is about to hit the light switch. The same God who in the very beginning of time, in the creation of all things, the very same God who said, let there be light, was about to say, let there be darkness. This was one of those decreation moments where the thing that he initiated, he stops. This, is, this isn't just some, some uh, a natural order of things. I've heard many theologians say, well, it was probably a sandstorm. Those things take place in, in Egypt and so forth, in the Middle East, in that area. And sometimes that, that can be blinding. I don't think that was it at all. I think this was a supernatural occurrence of darkness. Supernatural occurrence of darkness. And let me simply say this. This was a darkness, as the scripture says, could be Felt. Felt. Do you know what I'm talking about? Feeling darkness. How many of you guys have read any of the Frank Peretti books, This Present Darkness or Piercing the Darkness? Have you ever read it? Uh, you, get, you get a little bit of time, grab one of those books and read it. Because what it will do, it will set in your mind and your spirit. It will give you a good sense of what's really happening on a spiritual, in, a, in the spiritual realm. Because I believe it's legit. I believe it's consistent with, the, with what the scripture teaches. And it talks about, even in those books, a darkness, a pen, the need to penetrate darkness. A darkness that can literally be, and you know what I'm talking about. Many of you have experienced this. You know, you've been in those places where people have forsaken God's word, where God has become a mockery. You've been in those venues where people would laugh at God, make mockery. And man, you walk in places like that. Man, you sense it, don't you? I mean, you sense it. You feel it. I remember hearing a gentleman speak one time, and I knew his intentions were not good. And this gentleman had been given a, a large platform, and he tried to, tried to smooth his speech over by including and giving reverence to Christ. But I knew his, in, his intent wasn't to really honor God, not in the way the Scripture would say to honor God. And every word he spoke, I could literally feel it as it was being broadcast on national TV. I could feel the darkness. You could just sense it. It's palatable, tangible. A darkness that could be felt is what he's saying right here. The word felt here in the Hebrew is mashash. And it literally, it literally means to grope after, to feel. So what it's saying, this is going to be a darkness that's going to leave you groping after, reaching for. I'm talking about a blinding darkness. A darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else Mother couldn't see child, father couldn't see wife, or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Now I want to say something here, because I love the response of Moses simply because God had said to do this. When it says, so Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, I want you to understand something. Man, we're nine plagues into this ordeal. 
This ain't the same Moses who walked into Egypt. Most scholars would suggest that the plagues lasted at least 50 days and could have lasted as long as 10 months. The thing I want you to know is regardless whether it's uh, uh, 50 days or 10 months, that's a small increment of time. And for a man like Moses to grow at such an enormous rate to such a great extent over a short amount of time speaks to the involvement that he allowed God to have in his life. He lived in the power of God. The power of God was proven in his life, and he trusted it. So there's been a transition in the life of Moses over this period of time. This ain't the same guy that walked in to Pharaoh's courts the first time. I say all that, and this is a short pit stop moving forward, is how do we stay the same? How am I the same that I was 10 months ago? How am I the same that I was five years ago? How am I, how am I still at the same level, Reuben? My death with God. Why am I still a mile wide and an inch deep? Why is that happening? Why is my prayer life not more intense? Why is my intercession for others not more, 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 more intense as well? Why is it that my giving isn't born out of a spirit of generosity? Why is it that I'm still, I'm still? When God is showing, if we're willing to walk under his influence, to let it prove itself out and learn to trust it. We too can have a transformation experience in our lives that will make us near enough unrecognizable from those who had met us a year before. When was the last time you had somebody come into your life and say, I don't know what's happening with Ryan Walford, but I remember him a year ago. Man, that cat is turned on. That joker, he, he done got that crazy religion stuff going. When was the last time you had someone come in and say, man, God, I see God has really upped the game in your life. When was the, I'll tell you, for the vast majority of us, if we're honest, it's not happening enough. But it isn't his fault. It isn't his fault. We must own it. Because, listen, do you know where the courage of the ninth plague comes from? The eighth plague. You know where the power of the courage of the eighth? Let's go back with it. The seventh plague. The sixth plague. The fifth. The fourth. The third. The second. The first. You know what that tells me? In each of our lives, there must be the first there must be that moment in our lives, Carl, where we really trust God and are willing to step out. We will never experience confidence of one wielding the influence of God in plague-like fashion like he did in plague number nine until we experience obedience in plague number one. It's the simple obedience. And I'm not talking about literally throwing plagues out. I'm talking about walking in the power of God. You know what I'm saying, Jay. I'm not speaking in rhymes and riddles this morning. I'm shooting it straight with you guys. If we ever want to grow in our faith, 
to where God begins to express himself in greater and greater effect, at some point there must be the initial response of obedience to God to get us moving in the right direction. It is the process. It doesn't mean we're all at the same place in the process. But for the sake of the kingdom and the expense thereof, every believer has to be in the process. You must be in the process. It says no one could see, <clears throat> pardon me, no one could see anyone else or move about for three days. The entire country was in a state of paralysis, right? The great power outage. And then the scripture says this, yet all the Israelites had lied in the places they lived. Man, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know, man, if there was a curtain of darkness or what. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what, I don't know what that looks like. But, you know, because I have been so kind through this study of plagues, to offer from time to time an image of what it may look like, I've actually got a, 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 a still photo I want to share with you what this plague looked like. Go ahead, Clark, throw it up there. Hmm, there it is. <laughs> there it is. You say, Trent, I don't see anything. That's it. That's a plague of darkness. But in the life of the... Hebrews, in Goshen, there was light. Now, I believe this was a supernatural light. I don't, some theologians will say, well, over in Egypt, man, they, 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 what, what was happening was they tried artificial light, candles and, and so forth, but the darkness just snuffed it out. But in Egypt, the darkness was rendered less effective, and so they could have candles in, in uh, those places uh, 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 of Goshen where the Hebrews were at. Well, I don't believe that. I believe it was supernatural. I really do. I believe it was supernatural light, just like we find in Exodus chapter 13, when the scripture in verse 21 says this, By the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them, and on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel by day or night. If he was able to establish darkness, he was able to establish light. Why couldn't he in that moment create a veil of darkness, just like in a supernatural means? I believe that's what he did. I remember in 2009, we had this uh, crazy uh, ice storm. How many people here were residing in this area in 2009? How many? Okay, let me see those hands again. Okay. You remember what that was like, right? Ruben, were you guys here? You weren't here up in 2009. You, were, oh, you remember, don't you, my sister? I mean, this state was in paralysis. We were without power for 15 days. I mean, we went ever. I mean, every place we went was out of power. I mean, every place it seemed like we went. And I remember pulling into this church and opening these doors. And you know, I got that nicophobia. So I walk in, first thing I do, hit that light. And there's power in the church. And I remember us opening the church up. And I remember, remember, Jennifer, remember some of the kids, we were showing some movies and stuff downstairs. Remember the kids wanted to stay. So some people began to get word that they had power at their house and they were going home and the kids were like, I don't want to go home. And I was in the back zone, no, 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 you need to go home. You're driving me crazy. I can't stay here for two or three days. You're driving me, I'm running out of movies and popcorn. You got to go.
gold. But the scripture says that there was light in Goshen where the Hebrews were. And this is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5 says. You are all, if you're in this process, man, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. John, Jesus is speaking and Jesus drops this truth on him. Yeah. When Jesus spoke, listen, every time I go to read a scripture and I say, and Jesus spoke, man, you need to perk up. You, people's ears need, you need to be listening. Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So light was there in Goshen with the children, though darkness prevailed everywhere else. And you know, let me say this to you. We, we live in our own Egypt, right? We're here, man. If you think we're not living in an Egypt, come on, man. If you think you're not living in a time and a culture who wants to exalt men as gods and gods as men and tear down the truth of the gods, come on. We're in Egypt. But why we're in Egypt, God is desiring for you and I as followers of Jesus to be agents of the light. No matter how dark Egypt gets, the Egypt that we call the United States, no matter how dark it gets, as long as followers of Jesus reside there, there should always be light penetrating the darkness. Even if the darkness is so staunch, it can be felt. Move on, Trent. We only got so much time. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Hey, only leave your flocks and herds behind. Now, you remember what Moses said last week when Pharaoh said, Hey, who's going with you to worship God? And he says, The young, the old, grandparents, grandchildren. Men, women, livestock, every, we're, we're taking everything because we're going out to worship God and we don't even know what it's going to entail. So we want to put everything in, 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 in play for God to worship Him, serve Him. We got to take it all. And remember, he resisted and said, no, 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 the men can go, the women got to stay. But this time around, he says, hey, the women can stay or the women can go and the children can go, but leave the livestock. Once again, wanting that collateral. But here's the reality and here's the application in your life and in my life. He's given a lot, or so it seems, but he's not given what God has asked. God had asked for everything. Moses had asked for everything. And I think there's an element in our lives where we give most. And I'd say the vast majority of the people in here are giving most. But there's always that one thing in there. And in this case, it was the livestock, right? That Pharaoh still wanted his hooks into. Take your family, take your children, influence them. But I need your resources. That'll bring you back. And he puts his, what is it? Just being honest, I have to ask. Rhetorical in nature, so don't everybody respond 
What is it that the world's got its claws in in your life? You know what I mean? What is the one thing? Man, you've got, you've pushed it all. Onto the, it's all in play, but there's that one thing that you've allowed the claw of the world to say everything but this. You know what that'll do for you? And I'm just being honest. It'll keep you in Egypt, spiritually speaking. That claw. Because ultimately, God wants it all. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, also, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. You know what Moses was saying? One hoof off one animal is one too much to leave behind. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's heavy stuff, ain't it, Jim? He said, no, 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 no. One hoof is one too many to be left behind. I'm not even going to allow you to have your claws in one hoof of one animal. I need all of it. And then he says this. He says this. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. And this is a reality that you and I have got to resolve. I don't know what God is going to ask of me. But what, where God is wanting to bring me is into a place really where I can say, regardless of what it's going to cost me, I understand the call to follow God is an all-in call, an all-in life. And until you get to that place where you make a conscious decision, even if you don't know what it may entail, until you make a conscious decision that you're going to live an all-in life, you'll never have the real peace. You'll never really have peace because you're always wandering. Always worried about the one thing that still has the claws in it. And that thing will keep you up at night. That thing will rob you of sleep. It'll cause you to forfeit the peace. Let's close. And he says... Until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. We understand what that means, right? We covered that. So it's not like God is making him hard and then all of a sudden is holding him accountable. We understand contextually what that really means. He gave him over to his own heart, basically. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, now watch this. And this thing is starting to escalate. I mean, this thing is starting to really ramp up. Man, I'm telling you, the scorched earth of Egypt lays before Pharaoh. His officials have basically called him out for his lack of concern for his own people. 
And I'm telling you, man, he has already paid on multiple levels, on personal, political, his influence. Everything has been compromised. And now it's him and it's the age of God, that being Moses. So all of a sudden, this thing escalates. And you know what happens? You know what happens when God starts to really push into our lives and we start to give him that resistance? Friction. When that friction starts to be generated, man, don't be shocked by what is unearthed in you. And Moses and Pharaoh are eye to eye. And Pharaoh's response to Moses is at another level. And this is what he says to him. Get out of my sight! Read it. Said, Trent, you didn't have to yell. You could have just said that. But I want you to understand. You don't say, get out of my sight, exclamation mark. That's not what's going on, man. You can see him gritting it. Get out of here. And you know what follows that up? You know what follows that up? Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, I'm going to kill you. That's what he says to him. Read the scripture. You will die. Get out of here before I kill you on the spot. I mean, listen to what is ramped up in his heart and his mind. That's what he's been brought to. Do you know why he's been brought to this? We're going to read it. And hold on just a second. And just as you say... Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Now what happens, we're at the end of chapter 10. And what, a lot of, what, what people do in their minds is we close the chapter, we open the chapter, new event. No, 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 no. This event carries on into chapter 11. This conversation continues on. But see, God had already spoken to Moses. And God had already given Moses a word. Now we don't know about it until we get here. And he said, if he resists, this is what you're to say. Now let's check this out. Now the Lord had said to Moses, past tense, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made, why was he so angry Listen, the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Now you know what is fueling the get out of here before I kill you. Town wasn't big enough for two sheriffs. And the people regarded Moses, and so did the officials of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's being exposed. And right here in this moment, I'd referenced this to you guys before, each time one of these plagues come, a god of Egypt was challenged and exposed as impotent, powerless. And in this plague of darkness, the greatest god of all in Egypt was the god Ra, the god of the sun. And the God Ra was a mere candle next to the God uh, of the Bible who was like, he, he, Ra would be like a candle to the sun. And in that moment, Moses' God, 
the God of the Hebrews, Hebrews reached over there to Ra and blew that cat out and exposed him. And then these words were levied against Pharaoh before Moses leaves. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh. You're not exempt, he says, who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of a female slave who is at her hand mill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Listen, Moses speaking to Pharaoh. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me. You think this ain't rubbing Pharaoh the wrong way? And saying, go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I, I will leave. I'll decide when we leave. God will decide. You're not making the decision in this matter. At that moment, the decision will be made, and we're out of here. And after that I will leave. And this is what the scripture says. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Get out of here before I kill you. Then Moses drops this rebuttal. And Moses, Moses is upset. That's what the scripture says. Cat's burning with anger. You can almost see it, can't you, Jim? Being a man, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody trying to, you know, don't buck up on me, Pharaoh. I got the word of God. God done spoke to me. Ain't nobody in my clan dying, but you're going to suffer cataclysmic loss. Oh, there is a death warrant being issued, but it's not by you, Jack. There's another death warrant being issued, and it's by the God of the Hebrews. And the scripture says in Moses, how the thing left Pharaoh. You know why I really believe this? I really do believe this. It's because of the unnecessary carnage. Did you get what the scripture said about Pharaoh's officials and the people of Egypt? How they favored Moses? How they regarded Moses? These are people who were favorably disposed towards the Hebrews. And you know what Moses knew? because of Pharaoh's decisions, that these people who are kind and generous towards the Hebrews would suffer because of their Pharaoh. No wonder he's burning with anger. How much loss? How much death? Have you ever thought about the people who gave to the Hebrews the gold and the silver? I want you to think about this, man. This is tough. Had just come back from a funeral. Did you know every home in Egypt of the Egyptians lost their firstborn? Every family that was given silver and gold had just come from the funeral home to do it. Had awoken that morning 
to the wailing and screaming of Egypt, of no doing of their own. And because they knew it wasn't Moses' fault, it wasn't the children of Israel's fault, even in the midst of all that heartache, they gave to them because they were favorably disposed. They were unfavorably disposed then to Pharaoh. You get that, right? That's what's happening. And so, Trent, at the end of the sermon on this given day, I say to you guys, and we will close this message. How much carnage? How much loss? How much death in your relationships, in your family, in your children's life, in your own life, and How much are you willing to suffer? Because disobedience takes you down a path that produces nothing but death. There's a way that seems right to a man. The scripture says, but it leads only to destruction. You see? That's some pretty heavy stuff, Trent. I came wanting that Joel Osteen sermon. Man, yeah, done blew my Sunday up. How am I supposed to eat today? You got me worried about all this craziness. I'm just being honest with you. Listen, I challenge you as God has challenged me as I work my way through this scripture. I'm reading the same stuff, man. I eat from the same plate. I have to digest to do. I'm no different than you. I have to do the same thing. Lee and I have to do the same thing. I have to ask the same questions to me before I ever get up here. So what I'm going to do for you guys, I'm just going to leave that with you, okay? I'm just going to unload that on you. You know why? Because I've been carrying it all week. I got to get this off me, man. I gotta get, I'm, I'm putting this on Kevin Cappell. So take that, Kevin. Get that off my back. I got to get that. I want you to consider what it is that we've covered today. We come back next week, we're going to be in chapter 12, Lord willing. And we're going to start to see God unfold some things, some incredible things, incredible things. Take this, ponder it, consider it, pray about it, ask God. Shine the light, a great searchlight in your heart, and ask God, what is the thing? What is that thing I'm... The world's still got a claw in. What is that? And God, for the sake of my own impact in the kingdom and how you're wanting to work through me, for the sake of all that, would you declaw that mess? Would you declaw that? I'm going to ask you to pray that. I'm going to ask you to just let that thing just kind of marinate in your spirit this week. Will you do that for, not for me, do that for yourself. Will you do that for you? And you say, Trent, there was no application for me today. And I say, well, why don't, why don't you just consider God dealing with the lie you just told? Okay, because I'm telling you, God's word deals with all people on all matters in all times. Amen? I love you. 
Don't sound like it sometimes, right? Trent's a hard cat. So I, I'm telling you, I, I'd give it for you. I'd lay it down for you, Jim. You know that, brother. I will. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start our second sermon. No, we're not. No, we're not. Now, you think Jeb Darty is running off because he thinks I'm starting a second sermon. That's not really the case. We got a baby dedication today. Okay? And uh, I think at this moment, uh, the said agents of this baby dedication are now being collected. And so what we're going to do, we're going to give a moment for them to get up here. And I'm going to send a search party for the search party. Clark Evans, make sure everybody's being collected. I got the thumbs up. The collector is out. And so they're coming. Now listen, we're going to go through this baby dedication this morning. And this is a hugely significant thing in the life, not just of these children, because really the dedication is a, is a matter of the parents, and it's their responsibility. But there's also a responsibility that rests with you and I, and so we're going to have to deal with that briefly this morning as well. And so uh, we're going to give a moment, apparently more moments than I had anticipated, Look, I've got the leader of the collection team looking through the door as though he don't have a clue what's going on. <laughs> and there's conversation taking place. We have a missing baby. No, I'm just kidding. Just trying to, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, come on, come on. Is Carrie Evans on her way up here? She's finishing? They were waiting. They thought I had another 10, 15 minutes. Mm. Mm. No, no, no. Okay, I tell you what. I really wanted Carrie Evans up here. Clark Evans, rise to the occasion, be fleet of foot, retrieve your mother, and be kind about it, gentle, because I don't want your life ending today. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing, girl? Right there, brother. Look, look, these kids know me from the daycare. The flip side of that is I know these kids from the daycare. I know who these kids really are. So after we dedicate them, we're going to pray over them. And we're going to pray for Miss Kathy, the daycare provider. And, uh, all right, he's, he's running for mayor. You can tell he's the... <laughs> and she's the more docile. And uh, this is going to be a special moment. Okay, here they come. This is going to be a special, come on, B, come on up here, bud.
Okay, we're going to have a house full. Okay, everybody's coming. Okay, yeah, let's bring them all up here. We, we might just dedicate every kid in this church this morning. <laughs> here they come. It's the reversal of the swarm. It went out, it's coming back. Here we go. All right, come on. Everybody, come on in. Look, they walk through that door and they're just like paralyzed with fear. They got that nyctophobia. Somebody might have to turn the lights on. Yeah, some, somebody keep an eye on this kid. I know him too. He needs, we need a, a seatbelt in that chair. That's, that's the energy man right there. All right, here they come. We got kids having come up from downstairs and their parents done left. We got to find their parents. Just keep on coming. All right. Is that everyone? <laughs> See, this is the reason I was needing Carrie. I take these babies, they'd be crying. Hey, right there, man. All right, all right. All right, as soon as everyone. Right there, me and you, old school, OG. All right, that's everybody. <clears throat> it is our wonderful privilege today, as Jeff uh, and Jessica have expressed their desire to dedicate Abigail and Joshua to the Lord. Uh, this dedication may not require the supreme sacrifice that like that of Abraham who was called upon to offer his son on the altar, or that of Hannah who left her son Samuel to serve in the temple with Eli. However, it is a sober commitment to the responsibility and the care for that which God has given, and to be prepared to release them to his work when that time comes. <clears throat> the primary responsibility for the care of these beautiful children, of course, rests on the parents that being Jeff and Jessica. The scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Jeff and Jessica, as you engage in this task with joy and peace, may you earnestly seek the Lord daily for his wisdom, for all the events that will occur, all the decisions to be made, and all the needs to be met. For as James chapter 5 says, if any man lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That is available to both of you guys as you guys parent these beautiful babies.
May you also daily give thanks to God for Abigail and Joshua and for the joy and love they bring to your home. And as they grow, may you earnestly strive to spend adequate time with each of them, developing in them a strong moral foundation for life and an awareness of the Lordship of Christ and His abiding presence. And let me say this to you guys. I was just going through a couple pictures at the house. I was looking for a photo for someone else, and I found the photo of Carrie and I dedicating Clark. Oh, gosh. And uh, you will turn around, and they'll be grown, right? You'll turn around, and they'll look like that guy back there in the control room. And uh, it happens. It happens so fast. I felt like we just dedicated Evie weeks ago. Yeah. And it, it just, time moves so quickly. Also, uh, to the extended family, I know Jeff's mother is here. Where is she at? Could you, could you come on up here? I said, Jeff's mother's here. She's waving me down, wasn't she? <laughs> Yeah. I'm here, I'm here. Abigail and Joshua also have the benefit of the influence provided by her extended family who are being asked to provide additional support for her spiritual training. It is your responsibility as the grandmother to provide a caring, supportive group for this family. I ask you to be faithful in prayer for them and undergird their efforts to establish a strong Christian home built on Christian principles. And I urge you to demonstrate a real interest in and concern for Abigail and Joshua as they grow physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually. And I know, I know you will. That is the charge I give to you, my sister. And now, the charge to the church family here. I'm sorry. There is one other agent of influence represented here today, and it is the church at this time, I ask the body of the, of the driven church to stand. Stand with me, if you would, please. I charge you to do all that you can to provide and support a place of worship in this community where Abigail and Joshua may hear the full counsel of God's Word lived out in your lives. I charge you to covenant before God to set an example by your lives and to, maintain, and to maintain an atmosphere in this church which shall inspire them to desire a personal relationship with Jesus for themselves. And if you are willing to do this, please say, I will. Right. Thank you. You may be seated. And now Jeff and Jessica, in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses, and there are many, do you solemnly undertake to bring up Abigail and Joshua in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And if so, say, I do. Will you commit with all that is within you to honor God with your lives with the hopes that your own faithfulness and witness would always be a positive influence in bringing Abigail and Joshua into their own personal relationship with Jesus? And if so, say, I do. Let me say this to you guys. This is kind of off the cuff here. And I mentioned this last week. No one's reach in the lives of these two children will be as great 
is your reach and your reach. Both children will need a father who loves Jesus. And both children will need a mother who loves Jesus. Both children will need a mother and a father who love one another and demonstrate that love of Christ in their marriage. Amen? And so that is my prayer. I love the two of you guys. I love your family. B, where did B go? He's with Taylor? Okay, all right, brother. All right. All right. And, and we love B. And... Um, because uh, you guys have acknowledged this, I want to pray for you all. I want to pray for these beautiful children and um, trust God to put his hands on them and to do marvelous. And this is just the beginning. And, uh, and I trust you guys, man. Uh, you are beautiful people. Love God. Beautiful parents. Let's pray for them, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for Abigail. I pray for Joshua. Lord, they give them to you. And Jeff and Jessica and Jeff's mother and the rest of the church, Lord, have declared today, Lord, that we would do our part. Regardless of how trivial it may seem at the moment, we will do our part in loving and nurturing these kids in the great care and the gentle care of Jesus, that in their hearts, in their young hearts, there would be a hunger to know Jesus for themselves. I pray for Jeff, God, that you would give him the strength and the wisdom and that your guiding hand would remain upon him to be the father that these children need. And that he would be the spiritual leader. And that he would take that place. And he, 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 he would not budge from that place of responsibility. But he would own it and trust you to love through him into the lives of these children. I pray for, for Jessica, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon her. Her heart would always be gentle and sensitive to your spirit. There would be a hunger for your word always residing within her person. And from that overflow, Lord, may it wash over Abigail and Joshua. And may your influence on her life be evident by her influence over their lives. Lord, I bless this family. I bless Jeff, Jessica. I bless Beniah, Abigail, and Joshua. And into your hands, Lord, we commit these lives and trust you for their great care. And it's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things and commit them to you. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Hey, God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. Listen, consider what was said today, this week. That's your assignment. Amen. Bless you.